jet fuel, uh, can't melt steel beams, Jared. Mm -hmm. I've seen the memes. I've seen the memes. Just That's like all the I need Sheik to know. You know. Can't melt these beams. Yeah. America. 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 Yeah. Hey, hey, but this is the Criterion Creeps podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. Oh, no. I'm RJ Vlog. And we're just two guys who have another choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're in another double header as we're tackling spine numbers 18 and 19 with Samuel Fuller's The Naked Kiss from 1964 and Shot Quarter from 1963. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, well, not very fucking good. Um, I thought you and me were having an intimate conversation and now I feel like the entire world is... Uh, Heard my sloppy Jesse Ventura impression, and um, I don't think I'm ever going to recover. Well, this is the 21st century. There's no such thing as privacy anymore. Uh, privacy is public. Yeah, but it's not even like my good wrestler impressions. Like I, get, I could give you some macho man stuff, but now I feel pretty emasculated. I don't think I, I'll be ready to for a while. Well, uh, that's the business, brother. Uh, well, you duped me again, you bastard. <sighs> that's what I'm here to do. Uh, how was your day? Uh -huh. How was your day this fine day? Uh, I was all right, man. I'm really busy with work, and that really sucks. Yeah. And uh, you, you're pushing these Criterion movies, and that really sucks. Because <laughs> like, I have like so little time. And yeah, and I'm gonna complain on the internet about being busy because other people care about that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. also, your, your childless relationship, being a student, <laughs> no actual job. It's hard. Well, it's hard. Yeah. But hey, did you know that grad students work um, 800% times more than um, they think they do? Uh, nope. <laughs> nope. But we do make less than a low-income salary. That is a fact. That I'm, That's a fact that I'm fine with. I'm not a grad student. Hmm. Well, get yeah, a, but... Get a real job in a mine, dude. Oh. Drive truck. I, I drive up. truck. The brain truck. Hey, oh, oh, people won't get that, but whatever. Mm -hmm. You um, take that truck filled with science and back it up to the the mines of the future. The dump mines. The dump mines. There you go. Yeah. There's my RJ. Woo. Uh, yeah. Uh, Halloween candy is back again in my house. So I've also been eating that pretty hard. So uh, mm -hmm. as always, if um Good old fashioned stress to, eating. Yeah. If I start to falter or I just uh, completely blackout that's what happened yeah, okay thank you for yep. preparing how are you us. doing uh, uh just you know it's a struggle to keep up some days uh i realized life, I think this morning i realized it's wednesday we have to do a show tonight mm -hmm. buy gum and you're just gonna use that hate aren't you to uh influence your reviews of these two movies yeah, there's a certain amount of resentment I felt uh, having to, to watch these two movies, not because I dislike them or anything like that, but because uh, we're in the midst of 31 days of horror, Creeptober, mm -hmm. Ghoul School, whatever the hell you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, guess leads us to our uh, the absence of our next uh, segment, which would be uh, talking about what we've been creeping on this week. Um, mm -hmm. We're not doing that because we're leaving that to our Ghoul School specials uh, that we've been doing here in October and we'll be doing for the rest of October, uh, God willing. God I could die, though. Did I cut out? Skype is not liking whatever you're doing. Well, I was talking about how I might die at any minute, so I guess I guess I'm dead. So it was nice knowing you. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I'm and dead. yeah, in our last episode, uh, Ghoul School Special Number Two, we didn't even get mm-hmm. to talk about all the movies we'd uh, watched that previous week, and we had two hours, meaning we're either doing a terrible job, too good of a job, or our life priorities are fucked. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing because uh, I checked the times, and that episode was only like seven seconds shorter than the last one. And the last one we covered like a rich history of horror in our lives. We didn't even have a topic in that in the second episode like we planned to. So I feel like any future episodes, if we do cover the topics that we we've discussed, uh, they might be like eight or nine hours long. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will greatly appreciate listening to our voices in their heads for nine hours. Nine hours. I'm sure one guy will. Well, I mean, I mean, it'd be kind of, I guess, partly replicating what our day-to-day life is, just like our own voices every mm-hmm. every second of our entire life. Oh, no, I have a lot of things set up to keep my voice out of my head. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you know uh, Inception? Yeah. Um, I just have pictures of Chili and Murphy throughout the house, and that blocks all <laughs> original thought. Oh. His, his grimacing glare. That's oh. why... The pinwheel. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know, man. You, you, I'm so caught off guard today. We're deep into Creeptober. You're in your ghoulish activities. I'm working. I'm eating candy. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Good I'm coming Lord. off of that Thanksgiving high. I still got all that turkey gillet in my gullet. So Nice. I'm going to yeah. make some mullet rhymes. Gillet gullet. There you go. Woohoo. Uh, well, uh, any news you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I got some hot news for Ooh, you, pal. Me too. I have three things of news. Are you ready for this? Yeah, you go. I'm going to lead with my strong one. Uh, so, uh, another TV series was announced this week. Uh-huh. A TV series of a hit movie. Yeah. Uh, the I... movie is my favorite movie, Jared. Uh... And I don't say that softly yeah. or without actual commitment my my literal favorite movie uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind by michelle gondry it was announced that they're going to make a tv series out of it yep um apparently the true detective and mr robot people are making it which i mean i guess that's okay because those shows do pretty well so i guess that means that maybe it'll be good but i go in with heavy trepidation because as I said, that movie is very important to me, so I don't really want to, I don't know, maybe it'll be great, maybe it'll be more of a good thing, and I'll love it, but uh, at this point in time, I'm just like, I don't know, man, I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, I saw that news, and I thought of you immediately, thinking, oh, <laughs> what is RJ's thoughts going to be? Um, I saw it, and <clears throat> actually, I think of like a lot of the... Uh, remake and things that you mentioned on this show which seems mm-hmm. to be like it seems like it's all the news that exists it's my m- only gripes with it's, things it's, it's your motif um yep. yeah i thought that the that concept the eternal sunshine concept actually lends itself fairly well to like a television show mm-hmm. um and actually could have a lot of legs as long as they have enough smarts to pull it off yeah i uh so that's a like i'll give it a shot i'm not like i'm not a complete asshole um, but it's, I, I'm like, I'm serious. It's, it's soup. That movie means a lot to me. So, uh, I hope it's good. I hope they, um, give it uh, their full effort. That's all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I did hear that they're going to actually erase all like existing copies of the movie. So, oh, so I can never go back and enjoy the original. Yeah. You won't even be aware that it existed. Mm-hmm. 
Then, then we'll be able to speak. Then you'll get to find it again and watch it again and fall in love with it all over again. But so see, Elijah the, would do that. Uh, yeah, and Mark Ruffalo in his underpants. Ooh, no, that sounds Kirsten cool. Dunst will not be there. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and well, as long as Tom Wilkinson comes in his underwear. Hey, you know what we should do as a fun activity? He'll we definitely pull come up... in his underwear. Ooh, gross. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> but I do have other news for you, unless you want to interject oh, with a, a little I, tidbit of I, your own. I, I got one. Uh, I right. saw the, I saw this headline, and I went, yes, uh, that'll be perfect. Uh, this is from the AV Club, and it just simply states, Leonard Cohen says he's ready to die. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, Lenny. Light and breezy wordplay has never been a hallmark of Leonard Cohen's work, so it probably shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to learn that the 82-year-old uh, poet musician maintains a healthy relationship with his own mortality. Despite the fact that his 14th studio album is set to drop later this month, Cohen's failing health is likely to keep him from touring in support of it. And, as is evidenced in a recent New Yorker profile, he seems at peace with wrapping up both his career and his life. As I approach the end of my life, I have even less and less interest in examining what I've got uh, to be very superficial evaluations or opinions about the significance of one's life or another's work, he explained. I was never given to it when I was healthy, and I am less given to it now. Later, after reciting some lyrics he'd been tinkering with, he laid down some cold reality. I don't think I'll be able to finish those songs, he admitted. Maybe, who knows, maybe I'll get a second wind. I don't know, but I don't care. Or I don't dare attach myself to a spiritual strategy. I don't dare do it. I've got some work to do. Take care of business. I am ready to die. I hope it's not too uncomfortable. That's about it for me. <laughs> Man, no one's ever summed it up more more fitting with how I feel than old Leonard Cohen. I'm with you, man. Can I, uh, can I attach myself to his, uh, his root out on the death this, train on the death train? Yeah, uh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Well, see, and I thought it was like perfect timing. Cause, um, uh, the, uh, uh, Criterion Blu-ray of McCabe and Mrs. Miller, I think, just came out on Tuesday, and uh, Leonard Cohen actually is heavily used uh, on the soundtrack of that movie, which is uh, just a spectacular soundscape. Uh, a lot of it's from the album, the songs of, of Leonard Cohen, which is, mm-hmm. I think, like my favorite Leonard Cohen, um, and probably a lot of people's favorite. Um, but his new album, you, uh, you Want It Darker, is scheduled for release on October 21st. So there's your free plug, Lenny. I was Don't give say, up are, yet. Are you- are you getting like endorsement checks here for this stuff? No. Nope. Never has someone laid it on so thick as uh, <laughs> pre-creep RJ, who was uh, trying to get that Pizza Hut and Arby's money. Mm-hmm. That never, that never amounted to anything. Yeah, it so. never uh, paid off, did it? So Pizza Hut can uh, endorse their own delicious pizzas made out of real ingredients with fresh tomato sauce and cheese, and nothing but. Nothing but. Nothing but, buddy. Hey, uh, is that all the news you have? Uh, Well, you can go again. Okay, I got two others. I'll just, this one will be really quick. Hey, did you hear the new remake they announced? No. Uh, Well, you know how uh, previously I had mentioned how Disney is going to take over the world with live action remakes? (laughs) Yeah, okay, now I know, yeah. Okay, and remember how I said that uh, (laughs) my two favorite Disney movies are The Lion King and Aladdin? Yeah. Well, guess what? They're remaking Aladdin. Yes, they are. (laughs) With uh, the only person I feel can accurately depict that story, uh, Guy Ritchie. Yeah. For some fucking reason. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't get that. Um like, I don't know. This goes back to the Lion King thing. I don't really care. I'll watch it. I hope it's good. Uh, I just, I remember, uh, it's just, I thought it was weird that they were saying Guy Ritchie. I was like, Guy Ritchie? It's not, 
who I really think of, but I don't know. I can't give you a better suggestion, so I guess maybe he is right. Well, I mean, usually those movies, though, they wound up, wind up being pretty, like, I don't know, uh, indistinctive as far as directors go. And I think Guy Ritchie's now at that age where he probably doesn't care anymore. His, his lock, stock, and snatch days are long past him, and now he just needs those big, comfy paychecks that studios can pay. And he's, prob- he's probably just going to be like, yes, sir, I'll put the camera over here, Mr. Producer. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to make it feel a little funnier here and all that stuff like that. That's kind of like what I imagine like the experience uh, directing movies for like Disney Studios are. Mm-hmm. Um, Did so. you get Clint Eastwood to do it? <laughs> Aladdin? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He'd be good, don't you think? Because uh, <laughs> he's basically a studio director now. Like, he just, he's so old, he just does whatever they tell him to do. Do you think Gilbert Godfrey will reprise uh, his role as Iago? He fucking goddamn better. But if live, he, if but live not, action, live action, but it's like he's in a, like, uh, a mocap suit? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I would prefer if it was live action, but Gilbert Godfrey just had makeup. Like, they painted on, like, or they gave him a prosthetic beak and just like glued on feathers and everyone else was CGI except for him. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I hope he returns. I hope uh, my main my main gal, Whoopi Goldberg, shows up as uh, one of the hyenas again. That would be pretty fucking cool. Oh, and Lion King. Oh, no, wait, Lion King. What am I fucking talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Have some candy. Oh, no. Eat some yes. candy, RJ. Yeah, I do hope Gilbert Godfrey's in there. And I'll read my um, news. I'll continue yeah, reading okay. my news. Okay. So, uh, a lost film by cinema pioneer Georges Melies has been dis- rediscovered. <gasps> this is also from is the AV Club. Uh, well, according to the estimates of the Library of Congress, about 75% of all films made during the silent era, a period of rapid development, technical change, and often tremendous creativity, have been lost. Many were junked, others were forgotten, and some were casualties of natural disaster and, and war at a time when few believed that movies could or should be preserved. Japan, for instance, has lost at least 90% of its, or 95% of its silent productions. A figure that seems unbelievable for such a storied, well-developed, and commercialized uh, film industry, and less so once you figure in a catastrophic earthquake and allied bombing. Uh, the work of the French stage magician and cinema pioneer Georges Méliès has had a comparatively strong survival rate, though that still means that only a portion of the 520 films he made during his career exist today, and then sometimes only partially. Um, obviously, he did a like, trip to the moon. Where's, where's the talk of this new flick of his, though? So His new movie? Isn't yeah. he doing a remake of Aladdin? Uh, yeah, they're they're attaching Georges Melies to do Aladdin, folks. Scoop. <laughs> Scoop. <clears throat> okay. So, the discovery of a previously lost Melies film over a century later is something of an event. An event, RJ. In 2011, the Cinémathèque Française just rediscovered discovered an almost complete nitrate print of his 1902 uh, ad- adaptation of Robinson Crusoe, starring himself in the title role in its archives. And now The Guardian is reporting that Match de Prestidigation? Woof. Ooh, Ooh Prestidigitation, 1904, in which a magician splits himself into dueling doubles, has been rediscovered in the Czech National Film Archive, where it had been mislabeled for decades. According to the archive spokesperson, there are plans to restore and screen the film. <gasps> mm. I will look forward to being able to watch this on YouTube someday. <laughs> yeah, isn't that basically where all those go? Uh, yeah, pretty much, which is amazing. Like, it's like, 
that is actually one of the coolest things I think about being alive today is, uh, you know, modern time medicine travel. and being able to perform time travel via YouTube and watch, mm-hmm. uh, short films at the, at your fingertips and get like a film education. Uh, you don't need to talk to anybody. You can just start watching stuff, find lists online. That's it, baby. Did you know you can order a pizza hut online? Yes. Without having to interact with humans at all, you can make your whole delivery on the internet, and then in 30 minutes or less, it'll be at your door. Yeah, and interacting with people is like one of my like least favorite things I have to do, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's amazing. Just leave the money in the mail slot and uh, tell them to shove it through Nothing pizza. but. Nothing but. Nothing but. Nothing I, I, I believe you have one last news item to share. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, so... <laughs> this um the news isn't related to it but it's kind of funny because this uh the movie is a remake itself uh so uh did you see that uh re- the preview for the power rangers movie this week nope so the first trailer for that came out <laughs> yeah i don't really care about trailers uh i wasn't gonna watch it uh, I will see the shit out of a Power Rangers movie, but that's neither here nor there. There was a bit of commotion after the trailer came out uh, because a lot of people were comparing it to another movie. And then the person who wrote the other movie also started to say that the trailer looks a little bit too much like his movie. Uh, so the movie they're comparing it to is Chronicle. And the the guy who wrote Chronicle, Mr. Max Landis, uh, was apparently miffed that his movie looked, uh, that Power Rangers looked a little too much like Chronicle, yeah. to which I say, fuck you, Max Landis, you entitled little brat. Um, I hate this fucking guy. I think he's a spoiled little shit. And uh, I think it's really the audacity of him to claim that, like, Anything he does is fucking original, I think is completely ludicrous because everything he does is just a ripoff of something else. Um, and especially, he's like, oh, Power Rangers looks like Chronicle. It's like, do you know that like Chronicle is like basically the most common shit in the world right now? Like, found footage? I, well, no, like just like found footage or like, or not found footage, but like, um, like teen kids come across something, get superpowers. It's like, yeah, that's been fucking done for like a hundred years right now. It's not, not, none of it's new. Plus Power Rangers has been around since fucking like 1988. So you could say that maybe Chronicle ripped off Power Rangers. Hmm. So I think it's, I think it's all bullshit. Well, I mean, uh, I think Max Landis's greatest accomplishment is, uh, making himself seem important, even though he continues mm-hmm. to prove that he's not really all that talented but he's like excellent at getting headlines and having people talk about him on podcasts and other social media uh Mm -hmm. venues so at the end of the day i think max landis has won yet again rj he got you he got you you're saying i'm perpetuating the problem you are part of the problem my friend fuck him all right that's the last i'll bring it up yeah if you want to hear about it i'll talk to you in private like I'm, I'm telling the uh, listeners out there, if you want to hear my opinions, yeah. <laughs> you hit me up on the low and I'll tell you what, what I really think. Uh, they're going to be kicking down that door. Yep. Yep. With that all being said, I think it's time to move on to some good old fashioned reviews. So after the break, we're going into full Sam Fuller mode.
the shock and shame story of a night girl. Starring Constance Towers. The Naked Kiss. A motion picture not for the squeamish, but powerful entertainment for those who enjoy reality in the raw. When I came to this town, I was a prostitute. Next morning, I quit. Those bonbons aren't there just to serve drinks, you know. I know. Get compliments, clothes, cash. You meet men you live on, and men who live on you. And those are the only men you'll meet. The Naked Kiss, when a woman bears what she really is. What were your relations with this woman? I was her uh, business manager. Marlon, when I ask you a question, I want the right answer! I washed my face clean the morning I woke up in your bedroom. You got morals in my room? I saw a broken down piece of machinery. Nothing but the buck, the bed and the bottle for the rest of my life. I'm trying your side of the fence. Is there a law against it? Is there anything wrong with it? And we're back, and we're talking about Sam Fuller, and his film that we're talking about first will be The Naked Kiss from 1964. Mm-hmm. To recap, Kelly, played by Constant Towers, is a prostitute who winds up in the small town of Grenville after heading out of the big city after beating down her former pimp who wasn't paying her her cut. She hawks her champagne wares in the park to the local police chief, Griff, played by Anthony Isley, who buys a bottle of that sweet champagne. But, uh, and, of course, they hook up, have sex. And <gasps> instead of cozying up uh, with Griff and uh, allowing to operate, Griff kind of tells her, nah, you're you're, you're going to have to pedal your wares across state lines over the river. But instead of doing that... She just leaves the lifestyle and winds up becoming a nurse at a hospital for handicapped children owned by the local millionaire, J.L. Grant, played by Michael Dante. Griff comes calling to the nearby cat house he told Kelly to work at for his perusal, but she never showed up. Eventually, one thing leads to another, and Kelly falls under the attraction of the millionaire, Mr. Grant, uh, Grantville. See, he runs the town. Um, And at this time, he's unaware of her background. Um, And, of course, uh, Griff is best buddies with Mr. Grant. Melodrama ensues. Uh, we get a musical number involving a dozen handicapped children dressed as pirates and Kelly Aww. playing the Mary Poppins. It's a real showstopper. Uh, a roommate of mm-hmm. Kelly's is on the edge of getting drawn into the local Bon Bon Club, which is just the cat house. Um, and Kelly ain't having this shit, and she goes in, beats the crap out of the madam of the Bon Bon house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly is just making friends all over the place, one bludgeoning instrument at a time. Uh, it comes out that Kelly and Grant are going to get married, and Griff confronts Kelly that she better get the fuck out of town or he's going to tell Grant what the score is. Of course, by this point, Kelly has told Grant everything, and Griff looks like a bum, and he caves yeah. and agrees to the best man, agrees to be the best man in their wedding. Things are looking to pan out just swell for everyone. But then the other shoe drops, and it turns out uh, town millionaire J.L. Grant is a child rapist. Kelly walks in on one of these things about to go down, and Kelly does what 
Kelly does best and beats old Grant this time to death. Uh, the little girl Grant was going after runs out. Uh, so Kelly has no witness to what was going on. So it just looks like she's killed the local benevolent millionaire who owns and runs the uh, school, uh, handicap school or hospital. And mm-hmm. so she goes to jail awaiting trial. Uh, her prostitute past comes out uh, and the police chief Griff, he gets to go, uh, you know, he just embraces his hatred for prostitution and women, it seems. Um and now he's also killed uh, his best buddy. And he just can't believe that a man who saved him in Korea would be a child molester. And, of course, all the people she's wronged up to this point, her pimp, the local madam, spineless people, none of them are really helping her case. Uh, as things are at their darkest, Kelly catches sight of the little girl from the mansion out her jailhouse window, and she's brought in, and one thing leads to another, and Kelly is exonerated, and we all rejoice, and Kelly hits the road, and I'm still waiting for my Naked Kiss weekly serial of Kelly going town to town, saving people and beating people up. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, RJ, what mm-hmm. did you think of The Naked Kiss? Oh, it's a fucking liar movie. doesn't have a single naked kiss throughout the entire thing. Oh. How's that for a review? Whoa. Put that <laughs> oh. on letterbox, buddy. Um I think this movie is all right. Uh I don't really know. I think it's maybe the resentment that you were talking about earlier uh settling in because I feel like uh this movie is usually something I gravitate towards. It's right up my alley. I like film noirs. You I like, like prosties. I like the I like the toots as uh, I call them downtown. Um, I don't know, like I I like parts of this movie. I just wasn't overall like super impressed by it, mm-hmm. and it's not like it's bad or anything. I was just I don't know, it didn't really hit me that much. Like I feel like I actually I have like a soft spot for like romanticism in like certain situations and like the way this movie plays out. I feel like that's the kind of stuff I usually like, but I felt like in this one it was a little disingenuine like it wasn't earned do you know what i mean sure um i feel like everyone's really mean to this lady because she used to be a hooker and i don't think that's nice i mean she's it's not nice (laughs) (laughs) i know but it's like it's like yeah she's like cleaned her life up and everyone still just like yells at her for being a hooker and i was like oh man that sucks lady i'd be right there with you um hey jared you know what i really like what uh, I sincerely wish that every movie had like a scene where there's a bunch of crippled little kids singing to the camera and it just shuffles between like close ups of them. And I'm not even kidding. I would fucking love that. And it's like licking their lips awkwardly and yeah. uh, like talking with their like singing with their lower jaw and extending mm-hmm. down. <laughs> down. Yeah. I uh, I thought that was really cool. It reminded mm-hmm. me of um, Ryan Gosling's band, Dead Man's Bones. Mm-hmm. It's like a because they have like a, a kid's orchestra in there. That's pretty cool. Um, what's some stuff I liked about this movie, dear? Talk about uh, what you liked. The opening is pretty fucking crazy. Yes. When you just get a bald yeah. lady beating the shit out of some dude. And yeah. then like the credits drop right on front. Oh. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that yeah, the opening scene of that movie uh, is like super fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the then her like 
drop the wig coming down and then like her adjusting mm-hmm. the wig and the titles come blazing across her face. It's like so nice. And then like, I've, I think one of the things I posted on Instagram was I found like the Japanese movie poster for this movie. And mm-hmm. it's like that scene. And it's like frame, it's like three frames of her before she's put the wig on and then her putting the wig on with the uh, title across it. And this like, really great yeah. looking font. And then with it on her head on the bottom frame, it's so good. It's like, ah, uh, good old fashioned Japanese graphic design, just miles above anything in North America time would you prefer would you prefer that to the dan klaus cover um hmm they're so different like there's yeah. uh i mean maybe i mean maybe I, well i don't do do you want to talk about the daniel klaus packaging because i mean no, okay. I, yeah because <laughs> like yeah uh i i mean i'm a huge daniel klaus fan um i own like every issue of eight ball and everything he's done and mm-hmm. uh i'm like i'm, I'm so ex- uh, excited that he actually did a criterion packaging mm-hmm. um and i mean for unfortunately all i have so far at this point is the naked kiss uh right. I, I, I i had the old shock corridor dvd which we'll talk about um so yeah it's just like the packaging of it i just when i pull out that booklet that comes with the naked kiss it's such a nice little object and the his use mm-hmm. of colors are like so like unexpected like these like yellows and pinks and blues and stuff but right yeah i don't know like it, it, his cover's good in its own way um yep. But yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool when I uh, for, when you lent it to me, I was like, "Ooh, cool, Dan yeah, Close, so pretty." Um, hey, Jarrett, have, do you ever go around uh, assisting random babies on the street? And if so, are you always or only sometimes arrested by doing so? That sounds well. I'm no JL Grant, that's for sure. If that's what mm-hmm. you're trying to uh, get to. I wasn't even doing that, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the lady. It starts out the start end and end of this movie is her like helping out a little baby, and the, in the start she like gives the baby a bottle, and I was like, where'd you get that bottle from? Maybe it was in the crib, maybe it wasn't. But if it was in the crib, maybe she's overstepping her bounds, giving that baby a bottle, or carriage, crib. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, the stroller. Yeah, yeah, stroller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyways, I thought that was weird. Hey, did you hey, laugh when you saw that big banner on this main street fashion show for handicapped children? Oh, my God. Why would I laugh at that, Jared? Uh, why indeed? Why you indeed. monster. Um, uh, I, I did laugh in the credits when uh, it showed a list of names and the top list names. The first three were Mac, Buff, and Dusty. I thought that was really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Did did you uh, know where that the whole champagne saleswoman thing was going as it, they were laying it down? I, I actually didn't, but uh, you, you didn't you didn't pick up on that innuendo that was being laid down. Oh, actually, yeah, I, I was like, mm, like here's guys like I could put the cork in the bottle, and keep, she's like, Ooh, keep an eye you... on keep an eye on my trunk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was like, good lord, a little heavy handed here, but I mean, it's different when they're awake when you get them. <laughs> it's Oops. true um, oh the other thing that this uh, film reminded me of is how much I love hand painted signs they're, yeah, that's they're, pretty, they're so nice that's pretty good Yeah, back when people um, were trained how to do that stuff properly mm-hmm. you know what I love hmm. I love getting close to uh, my significant other with scenes of Venice playing in the background and having rose petals fall from the ceiling that is like one of my top three th- experiences for for like the regular week, yeah, yep, uh, yeah. So I thought that scene was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also was gonna say, do you think this lady looks like Gillian Anderson? Constance Towers. Yeah. Uh, 
So that's the one thing I find really amazing with her is this actress. She really looks different depending on when they shot. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. This probably has a lot more to do with the production values of the movie, which, because I mean, these, these movies are both like fairly on, done on the cheap side. And I suspect right. that, that, like, that shifting look just came down to the fact that they probably didn't have the best makeup people. Mm-hmm. And so the show of Constance Towers looks really different a lot of the time. Um, actually, one fun fact is Constant Towers. Uh, she was born in Whitefish, Montana, which is a mere few hours from Creepsville here. Yeah, I do a lot of drunken buffoonery in uh, Whitefish, Montana. Yes, uh, all Canadians do. Actually, we uh, we can or we're a big part of the uh, tourism down there. Um, one time I was there, and uh, a lady walked by, and she said, "Fucking Canadians," <laughs> really loud because of the activities we we're getting into. And that's a story for another day. But it was pretty funny. Garbage people. <laughs> Gar- yeah. Well, me. Well, it wasn't just. It was the other people. But I'll tell you about it sometime. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, episode 300, we'll, we'll discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you a fan of Hat Rack? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. like, I thought that line was like, whoa. <laughs> Hat Rack? Yeah, everyone, every, all, the, all the men want to hang their fedora off her. It's like, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Everyone is really mean to this prostitute lady. Well, they're they're mean to all the ladies because yeah, there's the, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, it, you, it was the time. American small town hypocrisy, RJ. Yeah, I guess. Um, you know what scene I thought was really weird when she's telling telling the story to all the disabled kids, and uh, in the they're like all dreaming and they're running around, and then it goes back to reality, and they're all just like screaming at her, and it like just ends really abruptly. Mm-hmm. That seems really weird, man. Spooky. Spooky. You can put that in your spooktober. <laughs> when I get one. When you get one. Hey. Um, hey, you know what's a really bad strategy for uh, interrogating um, a crying little kid? What? Getting a hysterical woman to yell at her and ask her a bunch of questions. Aggressively? Yeah. What did you see? It's like, I don't. I, I have to question the cop's uh, integrity in moments like that. And his just his ability to be uh, a detective, even. Where it's like, you know, I could question this little girl myself. But I'm going to let this lady who's like pretty stressed out i'm gonna let her do it yeah yeah um you know it was a quote i really liked jerry in this movie what near the end uh the lady says a naked kiss the sign of a pervert mm-hmm. and i feel like we need a tagline like that for uh the show <laughs> we do something about perverts and naked kisses and yeah so i guess there was a naked kiss in this well, movie, yeah but I was not, gonna a, say, liter- like, not a literal not... one yeah there's it's it's an expression as it turns out well, I wanted like I, not, I expected it to be a big buff dude naked kissing people. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's not much of a shock corridor in the next movie either. There's a shock though, and there is a corridor. Yeah, there's a hallway. <laughs> there's one of each, just mm-hmm. not uh, not together. Okay. Yep. Um. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I guess like we talk a little bit about Sam uh, Sam Fuller. Uh, have you ever seen any Sam Fuller movies before? Nope. These no? were the first two. Okay. Um, I think they're a pretty decent example of kind of the sort of subject matter and approach that he makes with his movies. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just read the selection. This is from one of the essays that's included with, I think, Naked Corridor or Naked Corridor. That's a new movie. Ooh, it's dirty. Dirty. So 
Uh, Fuller, by sheer force of style, energy, and storytelling ability, directed 17 films, all low budget, in Hollywood between 1949 and 1965. Before that, he had been a crime reporter, novelist, infantryman, and screenwriter. Fuller made memorable westerns, such as 40 Guns, Run of the Arrow, noted for their modern psychology and thorny thematics. Fuller sees racism and sexism throughout history as both a driving force and the greatest flaw in American society. His war pictures, Steel Helmet, Fixed Bayonets, Merrill's Marauders, and Crime Stories, Underworld US. Say, pick up on South Street, are energized by the raw intensity of his characters and his clear eyed repertorial uh, perspective. His one newspaper movie, Park Row, is exhilarating, fun, and breathes Fuller's authentic knowledge of the trade. He sees war in low budget dramatic terms as the emotional tension that inevitably explodes among small groups of people forced together in claustrophobic, inhuman situations. In war, men become animals, says Fuller. Hmm. 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 Mm. So. Um, his whole deal is that uh, he was all about um, getting naked and kissing people. Uh, one might say that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start telling people that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of. Um, so, like, what don't you? So, what didn't you really like about the movie? I guess if, if you ran through the things that you liked. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just it's like I said. Like, I think it's a pretty good movie, and um, to be honest. It, it's the kind of movie I usually like a lot. Like, I what do kind like of movie is that? Like noirs and tales of strangers and trying to, you know, trying to get out there and do things and prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, there wasn't anything that really like clicked for me in this movie in the, in a sense that like made me like really like it. Like I, I enjoyed watching it the whole time, but it's going to be a long time before, if ever, if I ever go back to it. Um, I thought the ending was too cheery. I thought she got off light, yeah. even though the whole time she gets dumped on. Um, I mean, if she, if they showed her like, they should have utilized shaving her head and not just for one scene. Filmed her getting like electrocuted at the end with a shaved head. That would have been fucking crazy. Maybe in Rob Zombie's Naked Kiss, he'll do that. <laughs> um, no, I don't know, man. It's like I think, like I said, I like romanticism in certain movies, but what they did in this one, I kind of thought was like. I don't know. It didn't feel earned. I don't know how to describe what I'm talking about either. So don't ask any questions about my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know if I, I romanticism isn't a word that I think of when I think of this movie. It's yeah. de- I mean, like, it's definitely melodrama. Um, yeah. So I don't, I think it's the idea of like, like what I meant by that was it's the idea of this lady who like, has a hard upbringing and then she meets this guy and like, it's all going good. And like, that's like a romantic quality, but then it turns bad. And then she's got to like fight her way out. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to see that's Like, I don't know how to talk about this movie. And I guess, so I guess that's the end of the podcast forever, but like, I liked it. I just, yeah. I wasn't like super impressed by it. That's all. Yeah. I mean, okay. For me, um, I watched this movie for the first time, like, I guess like three or so years ago. Um, and it's always like been on my radar. Like the old, uh, Criterion DVD had a really good, like lurid, like pulpy cover. Um, yeah. and so it had this like great sounding premise, but back when I didn't have a job, I couldn't buy it cause I had actually bought shock order way back when. And then naked kiss was always on the radar. And I've watched actually quite a few Samuel Fuller movies. Actually, mm-hmm. other ones I was mentioning, I've seen a ton of them. Um, and like, I usually like, like his movies just fine. Like they're entertaining. They're always mm-hmm. like, all right, but there's always something like kind of missing for me, like as far as like the stories go. And with this movie, there's these really great scenes 
they're like, whoa, that's really mm-hmm. good. But then there's like this stuff in between that kind of just goes on and it just feels like here's the perfunctory stuff to get to the next really good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think the movie really takes a, a good creepy or creeps turn uh, once like the, the jail grant being a pedophile yeah. thing gets revealed. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. kind of like shocking for 1964, like in the movie, because you're not really led to believe that's happening at all. Like there's mm-hmm. no setup, but then there's like this like added ramifications. Like, oh, he also runs a hospital for like <laughs> handicapped children. children. And he's like the yeah. town's like named after him. And it's like, there's no one that's going to be able to stop this man. Um, mm-hmm. And she just like, she just kills him dead, um, which I think, yeah. a lot, I mean, people fantasize about doing that when they hear about stories about like mm-hmm. child molesters and stuff like that. Like they're on, they're on Facebook, on social media, just talking about how much they'd love to like, I don't know, eye for an eye and like. Creep catchers. Creep catchers. Hey, there you go. The creep catchers are afoot yeah. looking for jail grant and he's getting away. Cause it's like, uh, it's, what's the thing? It's always, the, it's the mayor's son. The mayor's son is actually yeah. doing all this and they're, they're uh, framing uh, homeless people saying mm-hmm. he's the one who's done it all but the, the children continued getting hurt that just whole like in thing sin city just like sin city <laughs> yeah that yellow bastard no no i agree with you like I, I did like the turn there and i thought the um the scene right after was actually really well done where like after she like whacks him and then it just like it kind of it stills of like his house with mm-hmm. the music playing i thought that was really cool i like that scene a lot yeah um and but, like i mean i think i actually really like that the sing along the uh the musical bit the interlude uh with the kids i think that scene is so weird that's what i was saying i actually really like that Yeah, no it's like it's like uh it's it's strange because like i don't i don't i didn't remember that scene at all from like from watching it the first time it kind of didn't stick with me i mostly just remembered like um what did I remember? I honestly don't know if I remembered much of it, which is maybe kind of speaks to how, I mean, I feel pretty much the same as you do about this movie. I like, yeah. it's fine. It's good. Um, but I don't think it has like a, a certain qualities that I look for in my neo-noirs that I, that I have seen in other movies. You prefer more prostitutes. Yeah. Uh, I guess I prefer mm, more grittiness, I guess. Cause this movie's like for the most part, mm-hmm. not terribly gritty. It, the subject matter is definitely on the sleazy side. And, but mm-hmm. there's something just not there for me. And it sounds like right. it wasn't there for you either. Um, nope. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's like, that's fair to say. I mean, I think it's just, it's good, but nothing I would go out of my way to like, if you're wanting to watch like a Sam Fuller movies, it wouldn't be on the top of my list. But, no, me neither. Yeah. But you know what? After the break, we're going to find out if this next movie might make that list. Uh oh. I've been a cynic for too many years. Playing doctor and nurse, it can be good for your health. I've seen clinics with those gimmicks in tangents. But if you open your heart to a smooth operator, he'll take you for all that you've got. He'll hand you a curse that'll be with you later It'll shake you the way he takes off Like a shot You need a bit of Shot treatment Get you jumping like a real life wire Need a bit of Shot treatment So look out, mister Don't you blow your last resistor For a mister that'll mystify ya You're blinded by Condition is critically great. But don't expect my 
motion picture screen opens the door to sights you've never seen before. Shock Corridor. The medical jungle doctors don't talk about. A labyrinth of twisted detours that both sexes stumble along. Case history number one. Johnny B., brilliant newspaper reporter, suffering from hallucinations that his sweetheart is his sister. Johnny. Don't ever do that! Don't you ever kiss me like that again! What's the matter? What is it, Johnny? Tell me! You're exciting the other patients by shouting! Johnny! Diagnosis? Erotic dementia. Forgive me for saying it, Miss Barrett, but there's something very strange about this case. Case history number two, Kathy B. Stripteaser, young, intelligent, beautiful. Do you think I like singing in that sewer with a hot light on my navel? I'm doing it because it pays more than shorthand or clerking or typing. I know that. Kathy's torrid performances, however, reveal her avid reaction to the excitement of male audiences. Diagnosis, manic sensualist. Case history number three, Robert T., a lone Negro student who stepped out of a white university into a straitjacket. Run, Sweet, run! Run, run, run! Diagnosis, acute schizophrenia. Don't you dare strike me. I'm pregnant. Shock Corridor, the incredibly realistic story that reveals the strange intrigues the criminal impulses, the obsessions that explode into violence. Because I want her and nobody's going to keep us apart! I want her! Daddy! Then there was a day Johnny was trapped in the ward of love-maddened women. He's mine. He's mine. And we're back again. And we're finishing up talking about Shock Corridor, directed by Sam Fuller from 1963. So journalist Johnny Barrett, played by Peter Breck, wants a Pulitzer Prize, don't we all, and -hmm. thinks the fast track to the Pulitzer gold is to go undercover at a mental hospital and find out who murdered an inmate there. He gets two psychiatrists to coach him into appearing insane. Insanity in the form of having incestuous impulses toward his quote-unquote sister, who is impersonated by his exotic dancer girlfriend, also played by Constance Towers. His ruse is successful, uh, otherwise there'd be no movie, and he is in the hospital mm-hmm. now for his investigation to ensue, uh, which means navigating madness and the ever-watching authorities of the institution. 
the question needing asked is, who killed Sloan in the kitchen? He has three witnesses he needs to get to who are stand-ins for American fear of the time, racism, anti-communism, and the bomb. There's Stuart, a southern sharecropper who got involved in sort of Manchurian candidate type deal. Um, he wound mm-hmm. up becoming dishonorably discharged, publicly reviled as a traitor, and now he believes himself to be a Confederate States of American general. Uh, the other witness uh, is Johnny. Uh, or sorry, that Johnny talks to is Trent, an African-American who was one of the first students to integrate into the then-segregated Southern universities. Uh, He now imagines himself as a member of the Ku Klux Klan, as you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The final witness he needs to talk to was an atomic scientist scarred by the knowledge of the devastating power of intercontinental ballistic missiles. He has regressed to the mentality of a six-year-old. We get hydrotherapy. We get ravenous nymphomaniacs institutional mm. beatdowns, several striptease segments, dream sequences, the shocks in the form of electroshock therapy, and good old-fashioned madness. Mm-hmm. So uh, Shock Corridor actually started off as a screenplay that Fuller wrote in the late 40s called Straight Jacket for Fritz Lang. Um, but Ooh. apparently Fritz Lang wanted to change the lead to a woman. Uh, so Lang's femme fatale of choice, Joan Bennett, could play the role. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a comical B-movie mindset of around what a journalist is. Uh, like, mm-hmm. it's like kind of like mm-hmm. when people think of, like, journalists in movies from, like, the 40s and 50s and stuff. This is kind of, like, pretty in line with that. It's, like, it's right. like not really in line with reality, but it's definitely in line with, like, what people think journalists are like. Biting at the mm-hmm. next story, running around, like, Lois Lane, and, like, just subjecting themselves to ridiculous things to get a scoop. Um, yeah. But which we're all about here on the Criterion Creeps podcast. Scoops, hot scoops. But uh, I think with Fuller, his, that his, that Fuller style that I kind of talked about uh, in the last segment, it's definitely mm-hmm. intentional and it's meant to be bombastic. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, in the pursuit of truth, he winds up destroying himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's melodrama town once again. Oh, yeah. Um, so, RJ, who killed Sloan in the kitchen? I think I might have. Oh, well, yeah. I, well I just Johnny beat up the wrong guy. <laughs> he got the wrong guy, man, because I'm pretty sure I'm I'm the uh, downfall of uh Johnny the uh journalist. Yeah. <laughs> uh um, so yeah. By that I mean I I think I like this movie more than Naked Kiss. Me too. But uh I'm also pretty just on the level with it. I think it's pretty good, but I'm not I, again, I'm not super amazed by it. Oh, yeah. So I guess maybe I killed Sloan. Um, I think this movie's it's just like a careful what you wish for kind of deal, which is fine. He's trying to like I, I get he's commenting on certain things like PTSD and racism and the bomb and like these broken systems and the fragility of like the human psyche and stuff like that, which I think is all good. But I don't think he really nails it. And it's not like out of poor execution because I think he act, the movie actually does a pretty good job at showing all these things. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. What do you th- what, what's your hot scoop? My hot scoop, uh, well, I've gone in deep, not too deep. Mm-hmm. Um, so my memory of this movie is that hallway that they keep going back to time and time again yeah. with all the inmates kind of just leaning against the walls and watering back and forth um, as, with good reason as action keeps coming back to that hallway time and time again. Um, obviously, it's a restriction of the film's budget, which, again, mm-hmm. it's like it's a 
uh, it was the studio called Allied Artists, um, which is like kind of like half exists now. It was like it's, it's kind of like just above like Poverty Row filmmaking, and sure. um, they just like here's here's like a budget, go make a movie script. And I mean, there's like guys like Sammy Fuller who kind of like they can pull that type of thing off. Because um, I mean, apparently like a lot of this movie was just like filmed on a rented soundstage. Um, and I think it's, uh, the, the, it's a good example of how well, like budgetary constraints can still work for you. Um, some people Mm. don't do well with it, uh, as seen by some of the horror movies we've been watching this last month, but, Mm -hmm. uh, other people can like do really well. Sometimes it's just about finding the right story too, to like kind of take advantage of your, uh, what your budget is going to be and do something uh, believable with it. So, I mean, right. this, is a, this is a pretty simple story at the end of the day. It's just like, all right, we need some nurse and uh, like attendance outfits and mental patient outfits mm-hmm. and uh, some rooms with some like things that couple. are like, here's some bathtubs. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say a couple of bathtubs. That's, that's the whole, the whole set. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of bathtubs, a couple of beds. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess, um, I guess like when I was thinking about why the Samuel Fuller movies are in the Criterion Collection proper is it mm-hmm. kind of goes back to like the influence of the uh, Cahiers du Cinema that I brought up way back like 20 years ago when we were talking about 400 Blows and like kind yeah. of like that uh, what the French New Wave directors of the time were kind of looking at as far as like American directors. So they were looking at like your Howard Hawks and stuff like that or um, Nicholas Ray and Samuel Fuller is another one of those directors that that like, they just like frick and love they mm-hmm. love samuel fuller like all the special features like on these uh discs are like french doc- like tv documentaries about samuel fuller mm-hmm. um because so yeah one of the essays kind of talks to this uh and fuller who i can totally see this in it kind of exemplifies americanness i think for like an international viewer uh, yeah. So there's a Michael Dare essay talks about like how something like Naked Kiss, it's like kind of this like fascistic, virile, shamelessly manipulative. Um, and like I totally can get like these movies are really much like American pulpy filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. uh, something else that Dare writes that I've always suspected when I watch movies with subtitles and I don't know the language is uh, Fuller's arty compositions and artificial dialogue would seem to play better in subtitles. It's sultry and passionate discourse full of innuendo. People only talk like this in movies. So like there's like, yeah. like one of the things with the dialogue is like these di- this dialogue has not very much to do with the real world. Um, mm. This film's like understanding of psychology is yeah. um, superficial. <laughs> like, but it's, yeah. but it's like, it's not about those things, but it kind of like uses these things in sort of this clunky way that I'm sure someone who's like fairly like well-read or research, like who knows this, like knows this topic well, uh, would just be like rolling their eyes at like, ah, this, the sixties. <laughs> so um, now that you mention it, uh, I have a degree in psychology. <laughs> oh. uh, so I'm right. not to sell it, not to sound like a pretentious asshole or anything, but so like that kind of stuff does pull me out of it a little bit. And it's not like, like, I think I've said before, like I'm pretty good with movies, like any kind of, any kind of genre, like idea they want to throw out there. I'm not the kind of guy that gets hung up on like whether it's possible or whether it's right or like whether it's accurate or not. Yeah. But I feel like I think you kind of nail it on the head when you say it's superficial because there's a lot of stuff where it's like, yeah, it's like uh, a, a normal man put in these situations is going to get broken. He's going to get like corrupted by this stuff. Like and I don't think go he, insane. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think he gives like people enough credit and like 
if if like I'm not and like that like that kind of stuff can happen, but I think it's got to be a lot worse than what he show what they show, and like that might just be like a restriction. They weren't allowed to show like dudes getting fucking lobotomies and stuff like in One Flew or the Cuckoo's Nest. But I feel like that movie, which came like granted came out like ten years later, shows this stuff way better because um, they it, they don't show anything like more graphic. But they handle the content a lot more seriously, I think. Whereas, like, this one, it's serious, too. But I think, like like you said, they kind of miss it. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. It's, it's always that weird thing. Because, like, my understanding of, like, electroshock therapy is that it kind of, like, became really vilified. And maybe unfairly, like, over the last, like, 50 years. Like, there just became this shift toward, like, the brutalism of it. And mm-hmm. also, but the things that would also dismiss that it was effective in some cases. And so I'm not yep. sure because I'm not sure how well you how much it's used nowadays. Like, I mean, we don't even have really institutions, at least like uh, in our neck mm-hmm. of the woods. They just don't exist anymore. They're just uh, there's so many problems that come with things like mm-hmm. usually being state run um, and no one can afford private ones. So mm-hmm. there's like there's a real shift away from it. Um, yeah, no, there, there's definitely practical applications for it. Like um, for some reason, like uh as used as like a treatment for um, depression, like so, there's something about electric shock that can like help uh, lessen the severity of like symptoms with that. Yeah. But like going back to uh, my favorite movie of the year, Dario Argento's Trauma. And if anyone's unfamiliar, go to uh, our last episode to hear about that. The way they use shock treatment in that movie is to force amnesia on a woman, <laughs> which like doesn't even make sense. So in like the thing too is like, in the 60s they didn't really know what electric shock did but they found that like in some people it helped like from a myriad of different like diseases or illness like afflictions or whatever so they just tried to do it on everyone they didn't really know what it did then and uh, to be honest i don't think people still really know what it does now like we have a better understanding of how it works but like i i think you would be hard pressed to find someone who could like say with confidence what exactly like what it all entails, you know what I mean? Yep. No, that sounds fair. I mean, my whole knowledge base would come from, I don't know, reading a Wikipedia entry about it. So uh, that sounds about right to me. Well, you you, you come to Papa and uh, I'll let you know uh, the hard details. Papa psych. Papa loaf. Yeah. Um, So uh, when you were stripping, RJ, uh, did you uh, have to explain uh, you couldn't be a stripper if you didn't take off all your clothes? Um, yeah, I did, but I have a very specific medical reason for that. Um, I have like four, four dongs and, uh, it's too erotic. Well, you have to let them breathe though. I do, but I can't do it on mm-hmm. stage because, uh, people, a lot of people faint from a sheer, um, seduction. <laughs> Being an undergraduate psych student going, it's tough. You got to pay the bill somehow. It's tough, man. It's tough. My my, my note here, uh, it was something about, ah, the old attempted incest gambit. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was like, so after I watched, I watched both of these in a row last night and I was like, okay. That's how I watched them too. (laughs) I was like, Sam Fuller's got this, uh, this thing for preverts and sexual predators and incestuous affairs and prostitutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe this is what all his movies are like. Uh, time will tell for me, but I guess you know. There, yeah, no, there's like, um, 
there's like one, one of a couple of his earliest. There's an Eclipse collection of his like early movies. There's like I Shot Jesse James, which is just a straight up western. Um, yeah. The his next movie that's also western that's actually really good is uh, Baron of Arizona with uh, Vincent Price. Oh, cool. um, I think like Patton Oswalt described it as it's like a long lost episode of Blackadder, which I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen or not, but uh, it's like it's actually pretty well suited. Uh, it, it plays like as a weird dark comedy almost, but like it's definitely more in his latter like kind of movies that like the sleaze factor comes in. Uh, right. One day, another Sam Fuller movie is going to come along called uh, White Dog, which is actually from the oh. 80s. Yeah. And uh, it's about a dog who's been trained to attack black people. And like, like once again, mm-hmm. it's Sam Fuller who's like, like I'm going to confront the issues. Uh, I don't know if you've right. ever like seen any like video or like film of him talking about his stuff. And he is just like the cigar chomping Jewish filmmaker. Like he's mm-hmm. just like, he's, is no qualms about talking about stuff straight. Um, he, yeah, he's actually also in, there's the, uh, return to Salem's lot TV movie that, uh, oh, right, right. yeah, he, he makes an appearance in that, uh, as a, conf- as Rob Lowe, uh, as a confused vampire hunter, I believe. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is he like he's in he it himself? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I don't. He's not much of an actor, but he just like he plays like his this character of himself, I guess. But he, but he's in the story as like I don't know what the name of the character was, but yeah, it's just like him snarling about, chomping his cigars, and right. you know, complaining about I don't know <laughs> the weather, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh. Well, well that's so, all right. Yeah. So I've got. A, two complaints about the presentation of this particular movie because of the old sure. DVD I have. Uh, one is that the DVD I didn't realize until I uh, took it off the shelf was it's non-anamorphic, which mm-hmm. means that when you're watching it on HD television, it's like you're watching a postage stamp, which kind of stinks. Because mm-hmm. um, the Naked Kiss I thought looked actually quite nice. Um, yep. And Shot Corridor I think actually is the better looking movie, mm-hmm. I think. Um because it's actually, I think it's, I think if I got my notes right, because now it's showing that I'm not very organized. God damn it, Jerry. Uh, You're blowing the show again. Blowing it. Blowing it. Uh, You're blowing it. Damn. I don't know where I would have wrote that. But anyway, uh, there's a, the guy who shot this, it's uh, Stanley Cortez, uh, who also shot crap like the Magnificent Ambersons in The Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. People love The Night of the Hunter. They do. Um and so, yeah, this movie looks like really nice, even though I couldn't really fully enjoy it because I was, we were watching it in SD. Um, there's definitely parts of the voiceover narration um, mm-hmm. where it sounds like it's been recorded in a tin can and like you really have to turn up the volume to like catch any of it. And I don't know if like, that mm-hmm. was greatly improved with the uh, Blu-ray. Um, it might not have been. Um, the one movie yeah. I'm not looking forward to when we get to it, and I think that's like disc 200 and that's uh honeymoon killers that movie has some oh, really yeah. abhorrent sound recording because it was also it's like a late 60s um or like i think it's 1970 was released but it's like crap sound because they're using really crappy equipment and this movie might mm-hmm. suffer from that just because of that um and like actually like the one thing i was reading about with this movie is people kind of complaining about like sort of the cheapness of the production of the movie and like weird mm-hmm. like jump cuts and stuff like that but like to honestly like it seemed pretty invisible to me like it didn't stand out at all mm, yeah nothing like that bothered me at all no. like the i'm not even gonna lie the only reason i knew it had uh, those uh non-anamorphic things were because you said it like I would have just watched it and been like, yeah, it's an old movie, man. <laughs> That's it. It's an old ass movie. It's got things on there. Like no, nothing like that t- uh, took me out of it at all. So well, that's good. Um, I think that's uh, people who say that are just petty. Yes. There's Tom Petty's out there. Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hydrotherapy looks nice. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know what? Like, it's like I was saying, he kind of, it seems like he's trying to, like, make a comment about, like, broken system like a broken mental asylum systems but everything there looks pretty good like they're treated yeah. pretty well i don't really get the um, sense that he was really against the system itself um maybe it's against it, like systems in itself like the idea okay. of systems and like how like the orderlies were in on this but there's no way of this information coming out because like that's okay this is one of the weird things about this movie okay um that i when i started like writing the synopsis i'm like wait why did how did the police not figure this case out like, yeah, like, cause it's like, I guess yeah. like the idea is that like the only witnesses are like insane people and can't be trusted and they're not, you have to spend enough time with these people to like get the answers. And so the police yeah. just hit a roadblock and then they drop the case. And so now it's up to this journalist to like go that extra step, uh, and like, mm-hmm. and, and break the case. Cause so there's like the one thing in the movie that like comes up all three times when he's talking to the witnesses is that he's talking to the witnesses and then they have these moments of clarity and they're completely mm-hmm. normal again. And then there's this idea that it's only because he kept asking questions that they then mm-hmm. like went reverted back. And I'm not sure how that scene, those scenes are supposed to play like this idea that he's like, they were actually cured. And then mm-hmm. because he kept pushing for his own agenda that that they've gone insane again but I'm like well no it would have taken nothing for these people to go back yep. like so I'm not sure like how that's mm-hmm. supposed to be read um, what do well, you what I do suge- you think about that I suggest that um, you and uh, any listener out there uh, goes to um, the psych ward of a hospital and uh, just ask uh, any of the patients a certain question over and over and over again and see how they respond to it like uh, well yeah you just ask them who killed Sloan in the kitchen who killed Sloan who killed Sloan who killed Sloan? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been better if uh, this one pulled a Shutter Island and uh, the whole time he was just uh, a banana. Oh, and, Johnny. Uh, oh, Johnny. It all takes yeah. place in Johnny's head. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of how it ends up, I guess. But uh, maybe it would have been nice or maybe it would have worked better if it was that the whole time. Oh, have I ever told – I don't know if I've ever actually told you about – you know the movie Identity with John yeah. Cusack? Oh, yeah. So I, I hate that movie a lot. I, that sure. movie is total garbage. Um, yeah. So, because spoilers, it all takes place in the fat guy's head. Um, mm-hmm. But speaking of fat guys, uh, I think that this might be the fattest guy we've seen in a movie in the form of uh, Pagliacci, played by <laughs> yeah. Larry Tucker. Yeah, uh, two things just to interrupt. Uh, I also dislike identity because um, the idea of like split personalities has long been like debunked. Like that's not really how stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I guess maybe I am the kind of guy that gets held up on that shit. I don't know. Whatever. M. Night Shyamalan has a split personalities movie coming out soon. So you be the judge. Um, but I, (laughs) um, what's that called? Split. Oh, (laughs) you could have, you could, I could have asked you being like, give me, give me a guess on what you think this movie is called. And you probably would. You had a nine out of 10 chance of saying, guessing it. Jesus. Um, Anyways, uh, I also really liked uh, Pagliacci. Uh, there's a scene where he just takes bread off of people's plates, and I thought that was super cool. Uh, I also, yeah, he's got to eat. I also liked uh, he had genuine concern for the other patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes up to uh, the dude and uh, offers him a lot of gum, and he's like, you know, it's good for you. It's good for you. I'll help you sleep. Yeah. So I thought he was a legitimately good dude, and uh, he got some good pipes. And uh, yeah, he might have been the fattest bastard we've seen so far, but uh, mm-hmm. at least he was a lovable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had some he had some nice serious gawk going on. He he certainly did. Mm-hmm. He certainly did. And while we're talking about patience, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the Chappelle Show. 
the early 2000 Dave Chappelle Yo, comedy uh, I remember uh, the show. show. I don't remember, like, yeah, I only, I watched it when it came out and like, I think we were downloading them off like the internet way back when, cause they weren't out on disc, but mm, don't go on, go, go on. Uh, I was going to say the uh, second patient, the, uh, the clan member, uh, he just reminded oh, me of Clayton yes. Bigsby from yes. Chappelle's show. Yeah. And, um, I was going to, there's a thing in that show that I love where it's like an outtake and, uh, he's like, I hate uh, N words, but I love skateboards. And then Dave Chappelle skateboards down the street. Yeah. I fucking love that. That's like my, I think that might be my favorite scene in the entirety of the Chappelle show. And it's like an outtake from that episode. But yep. as soon as I saw that guy and he was like saying, like talking about the Ku Klux Klan, I was like, oh my God, it's Clayton Bigsby. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah. No, though, the like, there's nothing, there's no real like new takes on any of that type of stuff that they're doing, which is kind of yeah. weird. Like maybe, maybe it was like that in 1963. It's hard for me to tell. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's fine. Like I love that type of like uh brash approach to like metaphors, I guess. And just be like, all right, mm-hmm. this guy is literally a black man who's now thinks he's a Ku Klux Klan member because he was driven to it by the system. And yeah. then this other guy's like, this guy's been driven to think that he's like a traitor in America, which means he's from the South and because <laughs> of communism mm-hmm. and, and, and rabid anti-communism. And the other guy, and the bomb, there's always the bomb, yep. right? The uh, bomb. Which people should be terrified of. The bomb's no good. Some um, people call me the bomb. Yeah, you are the bomb. Uh, I'm no good. So you're in some here. Uh, oh, dance therapy. Dance therapy yeah. seemed fun. Uh, I would be a big advocate of dance therapy. Mm-hmm. I would also be an advocate of a uh, rabid sex therapy, which I think he gets subjected to at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my favorite quote of this movie. Nymphos. <laughs> Nymphos. <laughs> uh, that part is awesome. That part I, is I, a ridiculous, but yeah, awesome. <laughs> I have two... Let me let me just interrupt you for a second. I have two quotes that I also thought were fun. Uh, one was at the very start. He describes his situation as a sexual powder cake. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start using that in the workplace yep. uh, and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite quote, possibly my favorite quote of any Criterion movie so far. Mm. The, the psychiatrist is talking about how he may have this uh, like – incestuous fantasies were instilled in him as a young teenager and he says puberty but he says puberty (laughs) and i think it is fucking hilarious that he he's like they they may have been instilled in puberty Uh, i I heard that and i I think i i I like shot up in my chair i was like what (laughs) did he say puberty Mm -hmm. so that was fucking hilarious yeah yeah, no, that, yep. yeah, so that nympho scene, though, is, like, just, like, the weirdest thing. It's, like, oh, they're, like, sex zombies. Uh, it's, like, it is, like, something right out of uh, a Cronenberg shivers, where they just maul yep. him. And then the rest of the movie is bandaged up from this horrific uh, nympho attack. Mm-hmm. Nymphos. Yeah, I, I don't know how many of those we're going to see in the Criterion Collection, but. Uh, not not nearly enough. Well, maybe shivers will come out from them, and then we'll all rejoice. Shivers in the Criterion Collection? Could happen. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, they, they do like Davey, no, though. No one's put it on Blu-ray in North America. Hmm. It's coming, well, though. It's got to be. Um, oh, actually, uh, then there's also the colored stock footage use. What did you think of that? Uh, I thought I, I saw that, and I was like, hey, why isn't this whole movie in color? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because color film is expensive. That yeah. Is, I think the, that, that's why. <laughs> um, no, I thought that was actually one thing. Like, I thought the use of like the color stock for these guys' memories or whatever. And then uh, the, also the way they use music to like show thought, 
I guess. Like, I, I, I kind of like that, but I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe in 1960, I would have been like, fuck yeah. This coolest thing I ever saw. Far out, so, man. <laughs> far out, man. Belly dancers and music and stuff. I, I dig. I dig, dog. Yeah. Dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's dog. that was a popular one. <laughs> dog. Uh, oh, uh, also, okay. So I think the best scene in the movie, though, is the uh, when the hallway turns into a uh, storm. And you just have like yep. that downpour scene. That scene is pretty magnificent. That that yeah, is uh, awesome. pretty wicked. And it's like because mm-hmm. like obviously it's not really happening, and it's in his head, mm-hmm. and that the whole payoff of that where he's just still sitting there. But it's just like dramatically, it's like super, just mm-hmm. like fant- like really well done. Um, it looks great. Yeah. So yep. yeah, no. So like overall, like I I do like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's better than the Naked Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's not like. I don't know if I'd be like, it's been years. Like, so I, when I bought this on DVD, like this is like, gotta be one of the first, like, like first 12 or so criterions I bought just because of the subject matter. And it, it sounded like good and trashy. Um, you love nymphos and I love me some nymphos. Uh, so I bought mm-hmm. it, but I only watched it the one time and I hadn't gone back to watch it since, uh, till, uh, just this week. And right. I mean, it's good, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's not like, not one of the most like, interesting statements i guess on even the subject matter i guess like if you're just right. like you're thinking about like movies set in like uh mental institutions i mean you've already brought it up but yeah one floor of the cuckoo's nest is kind of the the pinnacle of that for me still mm-hmm. um because milo's the man mm-hmm. i'd say that or uh Stuart little that's a pretty good um pretty good depiction of mental health as well i think that movie was also uh co-written or something like that by m night Shyamalan. <laughs> No, no, that movie was written by uh, a group of very good people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hey, I have one last thing to say yeah. that I could be way off and I'm not going to check the validity of my statement, but I'm just going to say it blindly. Um, I think I uncovered maybe uh, a secret link between these two movies other than that they were Sam Fuller movies. Yeah. Uh, I believe there is a bust like a statue, like a bronze bust of maybe Beethoven. And I think it's in both of these movies. Did you notice this at all? No. In Naked Kiss, uh, I think it is in that Grant guy's house because there's a lot of music in there and there's like Moonlight Sonata is playing all the time. Yeah. They talk out, they even mention Beethoven by name. And I think it's in the scene. Er, I might, this one I don't remember as well, but I think it's in the scene after she kills him and it's showing stills of the house. I think it shows his bust there, but it might also have been when they have the little party. But in Shock Corridor, it is in the, uh, in the office when they're like near the start when they're setting up, uh, setting up that the guy is going to go to the asylum. The bust is in that scene too. Oh. I think it's a Beethoven bus. I Google it and there was nothing on there. So I think I got the hot scoop on this. Whoa. New take. But maybe someone, maybe if anyone cares, they'll go look at it, and maybe I'll be way off. Yeah. But if I'm not, maybe we have a record now that I'm the first person ever to mm-hmm. uh, make this connection. Oh, and of course, we'd be remiss to not acknowledge the uh, one little bit of trivia where I, uh, I think the, the theater marquee shows the Naked Kiss is playing in the town in, yep. uh, yeah, in the Naked Kiss. No, shot shot corridor. corridor. Yes, Shot Corridor in Naked Kiss. Yeah, yep. that little yep. wink. That little uh, mm-hmm. wink right before the uh, disabled children banner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, uh, which so, is apparently your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me chuckle. 
Because <laughs> it's like, because what horrors that could have been a fashion show. I've seen too many Harmony Corinne films. That's why. Oh. 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 I love me some Harmony Corinne. So that brings us to a little bit of business of who hates these films. Um, so who hates the naked kiss? Cindy T hates this movie. Half a star. I don't understand why the naked kiss is revered. The story is dumb and overly melodramatic and the acting is bad. Pulp cinema at its worst. I hated it. She actually said she hated it. She hated it. Uh, Well, good for you, girl. Dave Vonderheer said, give it two stars. There's a charm. There's a charming slapdash and unrehearsed feel that comes with good low-budget B movies, independent cinema, and then there's handing in a short story with no punctuation and half the words misspelled. The Naked Kiss felt a lot more like the second one. It's unnecessary sloppiness that I can't overlook. Hey, Jarrett. Yeah. I think you're unnecessarily sloppy. Jesus. That's sick. Sick burn. <laughs> I got I got you, you fucker. Uh who hates Shock Corridor? Kevin McCormick hates it, maybe. Ooh. He rewatched it and he gave it two stars. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Sam Fuller is one of the all-time greats, but this schlocky obviously. artifact, yeah, uh, <laughs> but this schlocky <laughs> artifact from the nightmarish compulsory ice baths and Thorazine era of psychiatry might as well be marketed as science fiction for all the relation it has to real life. Starts with the mm-hmm. wrong-headed premise that mental patients are victims of injustice who are somehow concoct psychotic delusions to distance themselves from reality. Really, Sam. <laughs> Really? Add a few dumb hallucinatory process shots and some wacky monologues from its cast of cartoonish, gimmicky, kooky loons. Put in some archaic psychiatric jargon for the actors to struggle with. The doctors don't come out looking too professional. And tie it all together with a creaky plot about a reporter lusting for a Pulitzer, a nonsensical murder mystery, and a high security inpatient psych ward where the inpatient or the patients are somehow able to roam around at will, find themselves in unguarded areas full of sharp objects, nymphomaniacs, or other lethal traps and the budget somehow doesn't allow for more than two guards working alternating 12-hour shifts shock corridor is half a century old and feels about as fresh as birth of a nation with its self-righteous quote-unquote enlightened ideas arguing in favor of non-issues having some vague connection to a topic sick burn (laughs) so many sick burns mr fuller knows next to nothing about that said, it's immensely entertaining. <laughs> Gather any psychology what? majors or MDs you might know, break out the sangria, and have a drink every time someone stumbles over ancient, disused neurological jargon. Come the fuck on. The movie's like from the 1960s. Like, yeah, it that's, wasn't, it that's wasn't, unfair. Every time a scene ends with hysterical overacting by a bad actor in a straitjacket, every time a patient somehow gains access to some ridiculously dangerous environment, every instance of shocking Archie Bunkerisms, and every time a raving lunatic has some bullshit moment of clarity just to advance the resolution of this idiotic murder plot, I usually end up passing out around the 20 minute mark. I remember. See, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying. I don't want to like fall down the hole. I don't want to fall down. It's like, yeah, okay. You can watch a movie from the twenties with like, I don't know, fucking Nosferatu in it and be like, oh, people were so fucking dumb for believing this. It's like, <laughs> people... there's no way it's true now. It's like, well, yeah, because they didn't fucking know that. Like, like as a, like we were saying earlier, like, I know a lot of the things they were doing, like why they don't work anymore. But it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm not mad that they used it either. That's what they fucking thought. Mm-hmm. I just thought like the interpretation of certain things was a little off. 
Sure. So that lady sucks. And I, I like how she's like rags on it so it was, much. I, and it's I think like, it's a key. grab your or that guy sucks. He's like, grab your sangria. It's like, what's he got against sangria so now? Sassy people are so sassy when they can post shit online. Kevin, I think Kevin, I think sangria is a delightful, refreshing drink. Mm-hmm. I don't know so, why you have to drink to enjoy watching movies. I think you might have a drinking problem. Yeah. I mean, that's I something gonna, you also know about. I was gonna say, what if you have to drink to enjoy life? Is that a problem, or is that um? Just being super cool. Uh, uh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, that's our review of um, Sam Fuller. Sam Fuller. I was going to try to make a funny joke, but all I can think of is Stuart Little for some reason. <sighs> and yeah, M. Night Shyamalan definitely uh, wrote that screenplay. He might have, but there would have been a twist, though, like a bigger twist. Well, that like, was not pre. A, that was pre, that was when he was still like just a a lowly tur, uh, surf trying to get work, and then Sixth Sense happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sixth Sense is whatever. I mean, the signs is where the money is. Money. Signs and Unbreakable. Unbreakable, probably one of the best superhero movies ever. But Signs, ooh, baby, it's got two <laughs> of my favorite things in there. What are your two favorite things? Uh, fucking Mel Gibson and Aliens. What there are you, you nuts? Go. Hey, just, hey, people might not know that. Well, they, they might I, not have been paying attention for the last like fifteen episodes. I suggest you go back and make a detailed uh, repertoire. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Very I was gonna well. say I was gonna make up another funny joke, but again, Stuart Little. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Tune back in to listen to us continue not talking about anything we know about. episode down the drain down mm-hmm. the hydrotherapy tub drain um hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be able to regroup from our comatose state we are both now in comas mm-hmm. um unable to speak this is just our thought forms communicating to you currently you can follow us on twitter at criterion creeps you can email us at criterion creeps at gmail.com and tell us Ooh. why you love samuel fuller movies uh you can Go on Facebook and join the conversation. Make conversation. Uh, we're on that Tumblr. We're on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. We're on the Letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We're making lists. We're ranking the movies. We're 
watching horror movies left and right. You can listen via SoundCloud, uh, mm-hmm. Stitcher, iTunes, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And next week, spine number 20 already, RJ. And oh, yeah. with that, we're talking Alex Cox's 1986 biopic, Sid and Nancy. More like Sid and Nancy Grace, am I right? God save the queen. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not going to be invited back next week, am I? None of us are invited back. Yeah, Leonard Cohen was right. It's time to watch some horror movies, RJ. Let's go. Bye.